Welcome everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Kobe Wittick. This is No Need to Argue. It is Thursday, November 15th. We got Thursday night football tonight. We got a huge weekend of NFL football games that we'll be going over a little later. And uh, a lot of fun going on in the NBA. Some big time stories, a lot of trades and things that have been going on lately. And definitely a big shakeup in the NBA standings over the past two weeks. So uh, a lot of things going on, a lot of things to keep up with. But we will definitely dive all into it tonight. Uh, definitely check me out on Twitter at no need 2 a at no need number 2 a uh, I'll definitely be having some videos and fun things going on this weekend and uh, we'll definitely have um, some fun stuff going up there. So check it out. Let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and I will uh, greatly appreciate any and all comments uh, on the Twitter page. So check it out. Let me know and we will continue to build on that. Uh, wanted to start this episode off by kind of discussing something that is, you know, kind of unique to Denver in the sense that Carmelo Anthony is no longer going to be a Houston Rocket. It was reported by Wojnarowski with ESPN that the team is going to part ways with Carmelo Anthony, and you know they brought him in. It was a big off-season acquisition. You know, Houston had some injuries last year and fell just short in the Western Conference Finals to Golden State, and they thought maybe bringing in, you know, a guy like Carmelo Anthony who can hit shots, who is a little bit more of a scorer, could maybe help them get over the hump. And, you know, with some of their departures and, you know, people they had to let go and, and see leave, you know, it's kind of been a rocky start for Houston this year. And Carmelo Anthony has definitely not produced at the level that they thought he would. Uh, you know, they thought he could be a really good score, three-point shooter, guy that could come in and really assist them in that category. But, you know, that trade-off has always been with Carmelo Anthony. You know, what you get on offense, you get tremendously less on the defensive end. And when he's not producing offensively, you know, it's kind of hard to have him on your team or have him as a you know any kind of focal point on the roster. And I want to get into this because you know the Nuggets drafted Carmelo in 2003 third overall. You know, obviously he was a huge part of the Denver Nuggets and what they've been able to kind of, you know, build here in Denver. You know, we definitely saw a little bit of success with him. Unfortunately, it was a lot more of regular season success than postseason success. And I think you know, I've never been the biggest fan of Carmelo Anthony. I didn't like the way he played, but I have to kind of come to, you know, his defense on this, that he will always be compared to LeBron James. You know, they came in the first draft. Carmelo Anthony won the national championship as a freshman at Syracuse. You know, really, really high value coming into the NFL draft. And LeBron James coming straight out of high school, going number one overall, and, you know, Carmelo Anthony falling to the Nuggets at number three, it was, you know, kind of the next coming. This is where, you know, the Nuggets had a really high draft pick. We got this guy who just led Syracuse to the national championship, and he was going to take the Nuggets over the hump and get them to, you know, where we wanted to be competing for titles, competing in the Western Conference. 
And it was always the comparison of Carmelo and LeBron. And it was such a big matchup when they played each other. These young studs, you know, great scores, great basketball players. And yet the success never really came for Carmelo. And I think the biggest thing that everyone always looks at with Carmelo is the way he played. And I think that was something that hindered Carmelo more than it helped. And, you know, when you look at Carmelo Anthony's stats, you know, over his career, yeah, he was always scoring. I mean, he was always at the top of the league when it came to scoring buckets. Uh, You know, I mean, you look at his stats I'm referencing here on NBA.com. He averaged over 20 points a game for his entire career until the last two seasons. So, you know, in order to do that in the NBA, I mean, you got to be a really good scorer. You got to be, you know, at the top of your game competing at a high level to be able to put up that many points in the NBA. But when you look at the big difference when it comes to Carmelo Anthony is assists. And that was something that a lot of people always had trouble with when it came to Carmelo Anthony because he was never a big passer. He was very much straight ISO, give me the ball, clear out, I'm going to make a play, and we're going to have that be our offense. And it's unfortunate when you look at stats of Carmelo Anthony, you look at stats of LeBron James, you look at stats of Dwayne Wade, who was also in that 2003 class, and the way that each of those three big-time players played the game of basketball was very, very different And I think that's why you saw the success that LeBron James had in his career at Cleveland before Miami and the success that you saw Dwayne Wade have in Miami even before the big acquisitions of Chris Bosh and LeBron James coming to Miami. I mean, that 2003 draft class was, I mean, it was very big and it's going to go down as one of the better ones in NBA history. You know, you had LeBron James at number one, Carmelo number three, Chris Bosh number four. You had Dwayne Wade number five, Chris Kamen number six, Kirk Heinrich number seven. Um, You know, a lot of guys in here that have had long careers. You know, obviously we had some busts in there, but that's going to happen, you know, every now and then. Um, You know, David West was picked number 18 to New Orleans. I mean, you know, we all know what David West and Chris Paul were able to do in New Orleans and how they competed down there and what they were able to build in New Orleans, you know, as a team in the Western Conference. So, you know, when you look at, you know, the stats, Carmelo Anthony over his entire career for an entire season has never averaged over four four assists per game for an entire season except for 2015-2016 in New York. Every single year he's been in the NBA, he's averaged less than four assists per game for an entire season. And you look at, you know, the the Nuggets, you know, he started at, you know, 2.8, 2.6, 2.7, then kind of got into the, you know, three-point range, you know, for his remaining years in Denver and then into New York. But he never averaged over four assists per game except for one season in his entire career. And he averaged over 20 points. So you look at, you know, the shots that he's taken, the iso ball that he's playing, and the lack of passing that took place across his entire career. And when you look at that compared to LeBron James, so I look at LeBron James' stats, he's averaged over 
20 points per game every single year he's been in the NBA, and he has a couple seasons in there early in his career in 2005, 2006, and 2007, 2008, where he averaged over 30 points per game for an entire season. Obviously, you know, those are huge numbers by a guy that no one is surprised that those stats sit there. But when you look at LeBron James' assists per game for an entire season, every single one is over five assists per game, and the majority are over six and seven assists per game. So, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, an all-star, a superstar on a team making everyone else around him better and finding ways to help everyone else around him be better and be more efficient. And I think that's something that is truly going to separate Carmelo Anthony from the rest of his draft class and the rest of the greatest of all time and people that have his level of talent and ability because Carmelo Anthony was one who never truly took advantage of what it meant to be a teammate and to involve your teammates in areas where they can be successful and ultimately drive that team success to a higher level. And that is what we saw with LeBron James. And I think that's the hard part when you look at the careers of Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, and all these people that you know were in that 2003 draft was how did that top pick superstar in the NBA affect the entire team and the success that they were able to have when it comes to championships and competing for championships now when you look at the teams that won championships since Carmelo Anthony was drafted I mean majority of every one of these is very very big team oriented basketball and that's all I can describe it as you know in 2003 San Antonio Spurs won the NBA championship and you look at how they played basketball and what they were able to do around Tim Duncan. You had Manu Ginobili. You had Bruce Bowen. You had Tony Parker. You had David Robinson. I mean, you had some big-time players around Tim Duncan who was the focal point, but they ran an offense where everyone was successful. Everyone knew where they could be successful on the floor to make buckets, and they played hard, hard defense. And that is something that I think always was the biggest fault of Carmelo Anthony was his defensive play. He didn't want to play defense. You could tell watching him that he was not the biggest defensive fan in the world. And I think in having George Carl as the coach for such a long time with Carmelo Anthony, George Carl's one of those guys who isn't very high on defense either. So that pairing probably wasn't the best in the world for you know, Carmelo Anthony and the team success because it was get up the floor, score as many points as you can, let's outscore our opponents, which Carmelo absolutely loved because he could just go out there and shoot, 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 and, you know, try and outscore everyone scoring a million points. But you didn't see the success as a team, especially when it came to the playoffs. Now you look at 2004, Detroit Pistons. You know, they won the championship that year with, what I would argue as the greatest starting five on a NBA basketball team that ever played the game. I know that there are the Showtime Lakers and the Boston Celtics of, you know, the old days and the new days. And you got, 
you know, obviously Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 90s, but as a starting five in NBA history, I will put the 2004 Detroit Pistons up against any starting five in history. I absolutely loved watching this team play. They were one of my favorite teams to ever watch because this team in particular was all about how do we get each individual person into the right spot for them to be the most successful. And they were totally, I mean, half-court, hardcore defense. You know, I remember watching the games of Detroit Pistons and every single one ended in the 80s. I mean, no one was scoring 100 points on the Detroit Pistons and they didn't care to score 100 points because they knew they're going to walk it up. They're going to play half-court ball. They're going to run an offense that gets people into successful areas of the court and they're going to be very, very efficient with it. You got Chauncey Phillips. You got Rip Hamilton. You got Tayshawn Prince, Rasheed Wallace, and Big Ben down low. And every single one of them knew their role, accepted their role, and played so well as a team together. It was just amazing to watch. Then the San Antonio Spurs come back in 2005 and win the championship. Then Miami Heat in 2006. I mean, that was one, you know, Dwayne Wade was just drafted. They make the huge, you know, move to get Shaquille O'Neal with Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant having their feud in Los Angeles. And they go on to win the championship. And, you know, Dwayne Wade obviously was a huge focal point of that. But still having, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, one of my favorite players of all time, you know, in his prime coming off of winning three championships. I mean, that was just a great duo. And Shaq and Dwayne Wade were able to pretty much repeat what Kobe Bryant and Shaq were able to do in Los Angeles. So that those two, obviously, it wasn't... You know, they had a good team around them. You know, Udonis Haslin and, you know, others. Um, you know, Jason Williams, Jay Will was on that team. You know, they had a lot of good players, but those two pretty much just dominated. And obviously, defense was a big player in that. 2007, San Antonio Spurs. Again, they come back and beat Cleveland. You know, that was, you know, LeBron's huge run all the way to the finals, you know, dragging that team that he had you know, a bunch of has, you know, bins and nobodies go to the finals against San Antonio and they end up getting swept 4-0. You know, then in 2008, you got the Boston Celtics. You know, that was one where you had a huge, you know, move to get Ray Allen. You got Kevin Garnett. You know, they really built around Paul Pierce and those three played so well as a team anchored by Kevin Garnett and the defensive intensity that he brought to the team and what they were able to do. You know, and then in 2009, 2010, you got Kobe Bryant and the Lakers winning back to back. You know, and that was one where, you know, Kobe had, you know, had some success and been able to do some things without Shaq. But, you know, without a big man, without, you know, having a core to that triangle offense, you know, there just wasn't a lot of success with Kobe in LA after Shaq left. And, you know, they bring in Pau Gasol, you know, big defensive guy, great offensive player from just about anywhere on the floor. And, you know, they're able to go out and, you know, beat some really good teams and win championships. You know, and then obviously in 2011, you got the Dallas Mavericks, you know, beating the first year of the super team in Miami with LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And, you know, the Dallas Mavericks in 2011, it was one of those years where they just kind of had everything clicking. You know, Jason Kidd comes on board and gets with Dirk Nowinski. And, you know, Dirk was just not, 
he was not being denied that year. He was on fire. Watching him in that year was just incredible. What he was able to do, scoring the basketball from everywhere on the floor, and that team around him was very efficient in what they did. So you look at you know 2003 to 2011. I mean, very core, you know, team oriented cores to every team that won the championship. You know, there was not a lot of just one guy going out there dominating like that. Just doesn't win championships in the NBA, and I think we've seen that so much in the last you know three four years in the NBA with, you know, Golden State and with Cleveland and with San Antonio winning you know the championship since 2014 to 2018 is, you know, it's so much about team-oriented play, you know, passing the ball, moving without the ball, not a lot of iso ball, you know, get the ball to the hot hand, play hard defense. I mean, you know, the game has obviously evolved a lot in the last 15-20 years, but when you look at the core of every championship team, it's all the same over Carmelo Anthony's career. And so when we look at that, it's very hard to understand that Carmelo Anthony was not one of those game-changing players. He had all the talent in the world offensively tremendous score of the basketball from anywhere on the court and you know the three-point ball was something that he developed a little later in his career he was very much a mid-range shooter when he came into the league you know got down low had some good post moves was able to do some things in the paint but the lack of defense the lack of assists the lack of ball movement the lack of offensive flow really hindered the nuggets when Carmelo Anthony was here and I think that's something that Carmelo has really battled his entire career is wanting to be the all-star, wanting to be the focal point, comparing himself to LeBron James and what LeBron James has been able to do and the success he's been able to have in his career that, unfortunately, Carmelo Anthony has never been able to accomplish. But in the end, it's all about what are you doing for your team to be successful? And LeBron was able to do that with a weaker team and a weaker conference that Carmelo wasn't able to do with maybe a stronger team in a much stronger conference. And it's all about how they play the game. And I think Carmelo, you know, if he would have maybe checked his ego a little bit and understood what it meant to be successful in the NBA instead of record chasing. He might have seen more success here in Denver, maybe in New York. And, you know, unfortunately, he's kind of at the end of his career now where, you know, he's not scoring the basketball very much. He wants the ball in his hands at all times. And he's just not that kind of player anymore. And you kind of look at how LeBron James every single year seems to get stronger. He seems to get bigger. He seems to get faster. And he seems to improve every facet of his game. And Carmelo Anthony, we have never truly seen that progress happen from year to year. And there's no need to argue about that. You know, Carmelo's done in Houston, you know, and that's official. And I don't know where he's going to end up. 
You know, I could see a scenario maybe where the Nuggets sign him, let him retire as a Nugget, you know, where he saw his most success, where he was drafted, where he made it his home for so many years. But, you know, it's one of those where, you know, it's hard for me to put Carmelo Anthony on any greatest of, you know, all time or greatest of his era list because it just never translated. You know, he was a prolific scorer. He can be, you know, definitely on the list of one of the greatest scorers of all time with what he was able to do with the basketball. But that's kind of where it sits. And the lack of defense and the lack of expanding his game to new levels was what was so frustrating for me as a Nuggets fan, as a Carmelo Anthony supporter. You know, like I said, I, I think the most likely outcome is he probably ends up back in Denver. You know, whether that's on a 10-day contract, if he's looking to retire so he can retire a Nugget, or if they, you know, bring him in as kind of a, you know, ode to, you know, we'll we'll kind of do this for you because you, you know, provided us everything you did while you were here and, you know, the success that you were able to have in Denver. So, you know, kind of an interesting story with Carmelo Anthony, but, you know, kind of kind of one of those things where, you know, you look at the success of the players in his draft versus him and, you know, it was just unfortunate that he really never lived up to kind of what he was looking to be, what he was thought to be. And, you know, that's something that will always kind of hinder his legacy when it comes to Carmelo Anthony and NBA history. So moving on now, uh, you know, definitely want to get to the NFL week 11 preview. Uh, You know, this might be the best slate of games that we've had yet this season. Um, So I'm really excited. And I know I say that we have great games every week, but you know, this is definitely one that stands out. And starting tonight, you know, obviously we got Thursday night football. Packers going to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. I mean, both of these teams need a win so, so badly. Uh, you know, the winner of this game will kind of keep their playoff hopes alive. And the loser, you got to think, is probably going to put themselves in the back seat for the rest of the season. Obviously, you know, we got the story of the quarterbacks going on, Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson. You know, we kind of have the old established vet has his name written in history pretty much no matter what he else he accomplishes. And you have Russell Wilson, you know, kind of the up and coming thought of as a, you know, kind of top, you know, thought of as a, you know, kind of top tier, maybe next tier down quarterback in the NFL already has a Super Bowl win to his name and should have had two Super Bowls if the Seahawks run the ball with Marshawn Lynch against the Patriots. But, uh, you know, that's a discussion for another day. Um, so obviously a big game tonight. Great Thursday night matchup. Great primetime game. It's going to be awesome to watch Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson battle it out. Uh, with these two teams obviously the defenses are playing a lot better than expected this year so it could be an interesting game up there in Seattle tonight 
and uh, I'll definitely be watching that one closely. Uh, another big game, I think, is you know the Titans and Colts. I mean, both these teams are surging. They're really finding themselves offensively and defensively over the past couple weeks. Andrew Luck is you know looking like he's back in full form, and you know the Titans with what they've been able to do with the running game, Marcus Mariota, uh, you know making plays, not turning the ball over, being efficient. You know these two teams being a divisional matchup have really kind of taking that next step in the middle of this season. And, you know, this game is going to play huge into that division, uh, you know, with who, you know, possibly wins that division. They both want to gain ground on Houston, who was looking really good, and, you know, try to leave Jacksonville in their rearview mirror. So big-time matchup there on uh, Sunday morning, 11 a.m. here in Mountain Time, obviously 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Bengals and... Ravens, uh, you know, in Baltimore, I think this is another huge matchup. Obviously, it's a divisional matchup. You know, these two, you know, kind of similar to the Titans and Colts. You know, these two are kind of now looking up at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are really figuring it out. Pittsburgh doesn't have to worry about the Le'Veon Bell saga anymore. I mean, that thing is done. It's over with. Le'Veon Bell is not coming back in that locker room. And so I think that, you know, this team with how they've been playing, you know, they're really going to get a little bit more focus now because that Le'Veon Bell question is never going to hang over them for the rest of the season. Bengals and Ravens, you know, these are, you know, two tough teams that have looked really, really good at times this year and have looked really, really poor at times this year. So, you know, if they're going to hold on to, you know, a wild card berth chance or maybe a shot at this division, this win is going to be very crucial to either one of these teams, whoever pulls it out. So another big divisional matchup there. Uh, you know, Eagles and Saints, obviously this is going to be a huge matchup on Sunday evening. Uh, you know, the Eagles, Super Bowl champs, the Saints just come off, you know, huge wins against the Bengals and against the Rams. They are looking unstoppable in the NFC. You know, this is a matchup that, you know, really should have been the NFC championship last year if it wasn't for the Minneapolis miracle. Um, you know, so I know that the Eagles are, you know, understanding exactly what this means for the NFC standings and playoff implications that they're fighting right now with their record. And the Saints obviously want to stick it to the Eagles, knowing that they're Super Bowl champs and knowing the mission that Drew Brees is on this year. That is going to be a huge matchup in New Orleans come Sunday evening. Uh, Vikings and Bears. You know, like I said again, I mean, prime time couldn't ask for a bigger stage for Mitch Trubisky to, you know, really test and see if he can keep producing with the run that they're on. Obviously, Khalil Mack and that defense is going to be in full force. And these two, you know, they're one and two in the standings. Another big divisional matchup. Uh, you know, the Bears are sitting up top right now, but the Vikings have really been gaining ground. You know, we talked about the Packers playing tonight. You know, what kind of ground can they make up in that division? What can Aaron Rodgers produce? But, you know, the Vikings and Bears, I mean, the winner of this one could determine who wins this division and gets that edge, uh, you know, in that divisional record and over each other. So, obviously, a huge primetime game on Sunday night in Chicago. You know, it's probably going to be windy. It's probably going to be a little chilly. We'll see if Kirk Cousins... And uh, the Vikings are up for the task against that Bears, I mean, just vaunted defense. And if Mitch Trubisky can kind of keep this train rolling for the Bears. So 
Uh, you know, I'm excited to watch that one in prime time. Obviously, we will end the week with, you know, one of the biggest matchups of the year, Chiefs and Rams. You know, both coming in with just tremendous records, tremendous play by both these teams and especially their offenses. I mean, Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes are, you know, arguably in the top three, four MVP award this year in the NFL. You know, those two are definitely talked about as being kind of in the running for that if they continue what they're doing. You know, Rams offense top to bottom, you know, you kind of pick your poison. And the Chiefs offense top to bottom, you kind of pick your poison. So this is one that is going to be a huge matchup on Monday night. This was a game that was scheduled to be played in Mexico City. And due to, you know, poor field, you know, and due to, the you know poor field conditions and everything else that was going on with that stadium they moved it back to Los Angeles you know i was hearing on the radio that united airlines was waiving the change fee if people had tickets to go to mexico city and wanted to change it to los angeles now and so it's kind of been a crazy frenzy over the last week with this game and what happened with mexico city and you know the nfl is always trying to make their game more global so this game in mexico city obviously was going to be a big part of that after all the london games have taken place and unfortunately you know, it's got to be moved back to Los Angeles. So, you know, the Chiefs were going to more of a neutral site and now they got to go into Los Angeles and play, you know, a home game for the Rams. So, uh, you know, this will be a big one. And I think I'm mostly excited about this game because of my fantasy teams because, you know, I have Jared Goff, I have Patrick Mahomes, I have Travis Kelsey, I have, you know, Butker, the kicker for the Chiefs. So, You know, I got a lot of implications going on in this game. So I'm really hoping that this is a shootout. I hope it's all offense, no defense. I want to see this game end in the 40s and 50s so that I can, you know, hopefully get a couple wins in my fantasy leagues. And we'll see, you know, which one comes out on top because, you know, this is going to be obviously a huge, huge matchup. Uh, between these two teams and you know some people are saying that this could be our Super Bowl matchup uh, this year if these two teams continue to play that the way that they have already this season obviously you know the Saints and the Patriots and a few other teams uh, might say something different than that but you know these two teams have been you know very dominant very productive and very successful this year So watching these two young quarterbacks go after each other is going to be a sight to see on Monday night. Now, let's uh, end with my upset and lock pick of the week. It's been a while since I've made these with me missing some of my Sunday episodes, so I do apologize, but let's go ahead and get those in. My lock pick of the week this week is is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm taking them as my lock because I think Ben Roethlisberger, this offense, his weapons, James Conner, they are clicking on all cylinders. And I know James Conner is in the concussion protocol. They don't know if he's going to play. But I tell you what, the uh, two other running backs that they had play last week looked pretty dang good too. Ridley and Samuels. I mean, you know, they only got a few plays in there, but they do look like, you know, running backs that can do 
things out of the backfield for Pittsburgh if they absolutely need them to, depending on James Conner's status. So, you know, the way Ben Roethlisberger has played, the way he's been so efficient passing the ball and all of his weapons that he has on this team, uh, you know, I'm going to take them as a lock. I'm, I'm just, you know, totally kind of done with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, there was a ton of hype around this team, which they well deserved after their run last year. But, you know, the way that they have played, the way that defense has completely, you know, kind of been non-existent in a lot of these games. And, you know, with Blake Bortles still at the helm of quarterback, you know, it's just hard to trust you know, them and that Steelers defense is playing a heck of a lot better uh, than they did last year. Uh, you know, the way they shut down the Panthers, which was a very hot offense last week, and, you know, the way that they've shut down the run, it'll be interesting to see how Leonard Fournette does and how that offense with Blake Bortles plays against the Steelers. So give me the lock in Jacksonville with the Steelers. My upset pick of the week this week is going to be. My Denver Broncos. They're coming off a bye. I know that, you know, I wasn't going to talk about the Broncos and that I didn't see much success coming for the Broncos, but my upset pick is the Broncos this week because I think coming off the bye, they've gotten healthier. Royce Freeman is practicing. He's supposed to be coming back this week in Los Angeles where the Chargers do not have a home field advantage. They're favored by, I think, seven points the last I saw. They're playing in a soccer stadium. I mean, nobody shows up to their games. There's probably going to be more Broncos fans than there are Chargers fans there. And I think that with our pass rush and some things that we can do defensively, I think we can rattle Phillip Rivers a little bit. And I think offensively, the bye week is going to be beneficial to the Broncos because if you can get Royce Freeman back, you add another weapon to that offense, another weapon in the backfield. Philip Lindsay has played tremendous. You got a whole bye week and some time off for guys to, you know, kind of work and figure out their game plan and really hone in on how we can use the weapons that we have to attack this Chargers defense. You know, Cortland Sutton, Emmanuel Sanders, those two guys should have huge games. You know, Hireman had 10 catches for over 100 yards last game just looked like a stud as a tight end. I think they should get him more involved. So I think that, well, I guess I'm hoping that with the bye week, the Broncos have put some things together, know exactly what they're going to do offensively, how they're going to attack this defense, and that our defense is going to rattle Phillip Rivers and pull out a huge divisional victory in Los Angeles. So that is my upset pick of the week. Let's go Broncos. I'll be cheering for you as I always do. And let's see if we can pull one out and kind of spoil Rivers and this win streak that they're on. That'll do it for me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, I will definitely catch you guys on Monday before the Chiefs and Rams. And we'll go over kind of what happened this weekend. Uh, obviously some big games to come. We'll have a you know, fun, you gotta be kidding me segment and get after it on Monday. So have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy whatever you're going to do. Be safe out there. And I will talk to you on Monday. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening again. Until next time, I'm Kobe Wittick, and there's no need to argue about that.